0: Hello and welcome into Emergency F, news and information on topics that shape the Community Foundation world. I'm your host, Eric Ozempa. Well, today I am so very happy to have uh, Rosemary Dorsa, the chair of the National Advisory Group for the Growing Community Foundations Conference um, with me today. So welcome in, Rosemary.
1: Thank you, Eric. Delighted to be here.
0: In addition to her duties as chair, Rosemary has about 30 years in the Community Foundation field First, at the Central Indiana Community Foundation, and then running a program of training and technical assistance. And I believe that was uh, Indiana's community foundations, and it was through the Indiana Philanthropic Alliance or Philanthropy Alliance. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Okay, well, wonderful. Um, and so, can you um, kind of tell us? I always like to ask guests what they are listening to be it music, podcast, reading. TV, anything you're really particularly enjoying?
1: So um, I'm going to say two things. One is on the music scene because my favorite music has always been and always will be the Beatles, and I'm very excited that Paul McCartney is back on tour again, which I didn't oh, think happened, seeing as the man is fairly old, I thought he would be done. So I'm very excited about that. Um, a book I'm reading. This is really interesting. It's called Agents of Influence, and it's about the um, British campaign, propaganda campaign, sort of espionage campaign, to bring the United States into World War II. So it's a fascinating piece of history for those of your listeners who like History, I would recommend it. Agents of Influence.
0: Agents of Influence. Do you have the author on it? Or if not, not a problem. I can look it up myself. Not a problem I, at all.
1: It's, so. I think it might be Harry Hemmings, but I think it's... Okay, Hemings.
0: now but I'll check Agents it.
1: Agents of Influence. <laughs> it's, really, it's, a, it's a really interesting angle on World War II.
0: Okay, awesome. I would imagine it's probably about those that really tried to lobby to get us to join the war. And I'm guessing that yes, I'm saying of it course. in a nutshell. And then
1: of course, there was a big isolationist movement here and how those two forces were you know combating each other and Mm -hmm. it's it's just really fascinating
0: and so can you um also tell me is paul mccartney have you seen paul mccartney or the beatles ever in concert i'm curious i've
1: seen paul mccartney many times i did not see the beatles very very sadly i did not but i have seen paul mccartney many times and i'll be seeing him three times uh this spring
0: Oh, wonderful. That's great. Okay. Um, So you are here because as chair of the uh, Growing Community Foundation Conference, that's October 12th through 14th in Wichita, Kansas, by the way. Um, Can you tell our listeners about the conference for Growing Community Foundations?
1: Sure. Uh, So the conference began to expand to a more national audience, After 2014, um, the Council of Foundations used to have a conference just for community foundations. They stopped that in 2014. It was after that that Kansas said, well, let's kind of use our conference, expand it, try and bring in others. Uh, And at the time, I was working with uh, Indiana Community Foundations, providing training and technical assistance and consulting. So I went in 2016 just to check it out to see if it was, you know, perhaps, you know, worth promoting, etc. So I went. And I was so impressed. I had a wonderful time. I was so ex- impressed with the program, the presenters. It was such a, the environment was so welcoming and friendly. It just felt great to be in this, you know, this group of community foundations because we really love that, that national conference that council foundations used to do. So um, I started promoting it with Indiana Community Foundations Uh, We also started bringing some of our Indiana training that we do uh, to the conference. So then I started doing training at the conference. And then I got in the conference committee, and now I'm the conference committee chair. And I'm also, uh, interestingly enough, for an Indiana person, I'm also on the board of directors of the Kansas Association of Community Foundations, because I really think um, uh, the Kansas Association is providing an enormous service to the community foundation field nationally. This is really a terrific, terrific event.
0: I have to uh, agree with you, too. and and, in full disclosure to listeners, I'm also on the board of KACF too as well. But I have to agree with you in the fact that um I went and I have to I'll be straight up with you. I had kind of low expectations the first time I went. and I thought it was really amazing. it was it was also really nice to see so many people at a relatively small town in the Midwest, and i i I don't know if Kansas people get mad at me if I say midwest. I think so. I think they'll be okay with that, but I'm not sure. (laughs) But, but I think
1: plain states, but
0: plain states, there you go. (laughs) But anyway, no, I thought it was uh, really hit it out of the park and it was exceeded my expectations. So I I would concur with you. Um, Any particular topics or sessions or any plans that you're particularly excited about, or maybe there's a particular style that the, 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 the conference does either with networking or sessions or something that really excites you? What do you think? Right.
1: Right. Um, uh, What I like about the conference and the program is that is the range of um, offerings for the, for the participants. So we have a whole uh, set of programs in um, governance, community leadership, big focus on community development work, Asset development grants, legal help, finance, um, it's all, it's all in there. I do like the, the, the idea that the conference ranges from important conceptual topics. Uh, for example, um, we're really talking this year about amplifying impact is the theme. And so, how do we amplify uh, what we can do by connecting with other funders, collective impact approaches, et cetera? Uh, talking about big societal topics like race and racism, increasing equity. So we have that. But we also have practical offerings uh, that are really important. For example, we're talking about um, working with scholarship donors to make a greater impact. Scholarships are a big challenge for community foundations. And so having sessions like that, um, targeting your donor communications, because we don't really have a lot of time and and money to put into that. So we have to be really thoughtful about how we do that. We've got a great program on that. Um, Also looking at, this I think is a really important topic, we have one about how do we look at the post-pandemic, the impact on our communities post-pandemic, and how do we as funders, uh, how do we continue the practices maybe we began during this timeframe? So we're at a very pivotal point here as we're kind of hopefully moving out of the pandemic. Uh, we learned a lot, uh, experienced a lot. And so thinking about that, I think will be a big, big, big theme in this conference.
0: Well, I would also concur to the thing that I found really great about the conference is that there's a lot of practical elements, but there's also some very lofty ideas as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really exciting. Um, so... Did you uh as I uh, as I know that the, the conference is going to be hybrid so um from what I understand so I wanted mm-hmm. you to confirm that yes. too as well so yes, that-
1: yes it will be hybrid we will be in person yes we will be in person i feel i feel very very confident this year we we thought we would be last year It didn't happen but this year it does feel very positive that we will be in person in uh wichita and i will tell you I'm so excited about that because, again, being with everybody in person, chatting, uh, you know, here's what I say. I said for a few days in October, the Wichita Marriott becomes the center of the Community Foundation universe. And if you're not having a drink with your colleagues in the lobby of the Wichita Marriott, you're missing out. So I hope people can come uh, in person. But for those who can't, travel, cost, etc. Uh, we will be doing it online as we've done the last two conferences have been all online because of the pandemic. But this year we're going hybrid. It's gonna be tricky, but we're gonna do it.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic. And the other thing too I'd say that what what would you say to people who are maybe hesitant about going to Wichita? Like, you know, it's not Chicago, it's not Miami, it's not a glamorous I shouldn't say that Wichita people are going to email me now, but, but, you know, it's, it is in the middle of America. And I, I think that, you know, it, it, uh, I, 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 just love Wichita, I have to say, and for yeah. anybody who's a Ted Lasso fan, I mean, if you know about uh-huh. the Wichita Shockers, you know, you need to know that Ted Lasso hails from, uh, from Wichita. So, so give us a, give us a travel log of like, why, why should people come to Wichita if you don't mind
1: well, it is a very nice, small city. I had not been there before I went to the conference. Um, and I was also delighted to explore it. There's a there's a very nice area downtown with restaurants that go to. Um, so it's a, it's a very nice, small city. It's not Chicago. No, it's not. But it's in some ways, it's more accessible. It's not crowded, and there are again, if you're looking for nice restaurants to go to, as as we all like to do when we go to a conference, they're there. And so there's a nice sort of old town area, so it's yeah, it's a nice visit. And
0: I think the hotel is is ex- exceptional. So it's got a great bar area, and so uh-huh. for networking, it is fantastic. So I will say yeah. that. And yeah. plus, I, yes. I'm. I, Rosemary, I'm a huge coffee snob. So I roast my own coffee and I found excellent coffee in Wichita where they were roasting their own coffee too, as well. So, oh, very important. you know, yes. that, that was, that's critical for me. So, uh-huh. um, yeah. so how would you describe the audience or attendees for the conference? Uh, is it, is it primarily rural or is it, are there other offerings there that maybe medium-sized and larger foundations would oh, take advantage oh,
1: yes. of? Oh, uh, absolutely. I, I think there, there might be an impression that this is just for small foundations or rural foundations, and it's not. Now, there is always um, an acknowledgement that we need to remember, if there's a topic, how does it apply in rural areas? Because Kansas is is quite rural, but in terms of this conference, not at all. Um, I just looked uh, uh, earlier today, Eric and I realized that uh, about a third of the participants are from foundations of over fifty million dollars in assets, so that's not small.
0: No, uh, that's awesome.
1: These are, these are sizable foundations that are coming, and we have CEOs, finance people, uh, asset development um, uh, program officers. We have the whole range of positions, um, and and the conference does a you know a, a very good job of trying to connect people, and you know trying to identify your 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 colleagues, your cohort um, at the conference. So it is, it is the range. It is not just for small and rural community foundations. It is the range of community foundations in the United States and Canada. We get people from Canada. Um, we have people from generally in an average year we're going to have more than 40 states represented generally in person in Wichita, we have about 450 people. I don't know what we'll have, you know, hybrid, uh, but probably, you know, probably another hundred, couple hundred that might be participating um, in the virtual environment.
0: Yeah, I I think, you know, one year, I want to say it was 2020 or 2021, where it seemed to exceed 600 and something as far as, people who actually attended, and that, of course, was virtual, but...
1: Um, yes, yes. Yeah. 2020 was was over 600, yes.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, that was uh-huh. just fantastic. So yep. um, I know that, and I don't want to catch you flat-footed here, but I know that uh, there is information on the website, but to my knowledge, it doesn't seem like there's a registration available yet, so...
1: No, not yeah. yet. Um, registration typically goes up um, in the summer, Mm-hmm. I would uh, uh, mark your calendar, maybe check it, perhaps August 1st, it might be uh, at that
0: time. Exactly, and I know that uh, also that, uh, you know, things are being finalized as far as some of the sessions, so I'm guilty of of uh, being behind and submitting a session description, so I need to get that <laughs> finished, but but people can find out more information at kacf-annual-conference.com. Um, so... Oh,
1: something yeah, else ahead. to mention is that because it's hybrid, all of the sessions will be recorded. So if you're a participant in the conference, you will have access to all the recordings. So if, so if you're, you can't, you, there's two, you know, that happens a lot. I want to go to two sessions at the same time. You will have access to that for, um, uh, for at least a year, I think, after the conference. So that's a great thing of the hybrid uh, model is that we will be recording everything.
0: And then, um, do you think that there's ample time to network? I mean, that is always the probably the angst and the greatest feedback that you get from participants of any conference. Really, that there's just doesn't seem to be enough time to network. Do do you know if the the conference is built in ample time to network?
1: Oh, well, we do build, build in networking time. I mean, there's a uh, uh, there's always a, a host event where there's great networking. The night, the kind of the first night the conference starts as people are arriving. There's every something. Um, uh, more informal for networking, and the, the setup of the, of the of the Marriott really encourages that because you've got that great lobby area where people are walking through, and there's the restaurant, the bar, um, where people are gathering. So the the physical environment I think really it, it promotes the networking. Yeah, and I agree. We always, we always want more, but then of course we want more sessions too. So that's always the challenge. But i I think I think we we do a very good job acknowledging. That's a really important part of the conference because the community foundation field is so collegial. It really, people who are new in the field are are sometimes delightfully surprised at how open and sharing and collegial people are. So it's it's what we love as community foundation um, uh, professionals. We love to connect with our, our colleagues and, um, you know, we, the conference is a really important way to do that.
0: Well, and I think, Rosemary, you exemplify that in your career, you know, over 30 years of experience of helping and sharing and, you know, and aiding those organizations and community foundations in particular. So I, I imagine those themes kind of exude or are uh, kind of drip down to the community foundation conference, too, as well. So um, I'm going to change some subjects. So is there a trend or idea that excites you either within the conference or the community foundation sector?
1: So I think the the trend in the foundation sector, not specifically the community foundations, but is um, is trust-based philanthropy. I think this is such a wonderful um, approach. Um, people can learn more about it at trustbasedphilanthropy.org. But a lot of foundations are adopting this this um, philosophy. It's really a philosophy that talks about uh, funding with empathy and respect and being open, streamlining our processes. Because I think as foundations, one thing that can happen, particularly as you get larger, you're giving bigger grants, it can happen that um, you're not as connected to your grantees. You're not as so much understanding what they're going through. We get a all hung up on lots of paperwork and lots of things that we require because just somebody decided to require it. Um, so that the whole theme is about streamlining, being transparent, being more of a partner with your grantees. Um, when I was at the Central Indiana Community Foundation, we always had, we had an article that we put in the orientation materials for all our new staff. There was an article with the title "Our Foundation's Arrogant." The answer is sometimes. We yeah, can. absolutely, yeah. Um, and and so I really think that it's this trust-based philanthropy, which which actually got accelerated. It wasn't created by, but was very much accelerated by the pandemic. All the things we thought, oh no, we have to have this, we have to have this. All of a sudden, in a crisis oh, sure, we can do this, we can do this, we can do quickly, you know, minimal paperwork, this is important. Well, you know what? If we can do it during a crisis, we can do it other times. Uh, And really listening to our grantees, finding out what what they need and how we can help them in ways beyond the dollar. You know, I do a lot of training for um, community foundations. One of the things I always say when we're talking about grants is I always say that having money to give away does not actually make you smarter than the person to whom you're giving it. Um, and that's something to remember, that our grantees know a lot about their field, their programs, their, their, um, uh, their, their recipients, et cetera. So we need to listen to them. So I'm excited about that. And I do think the pandemic is really helping us rethink how we relate to grantees.
0: And uh, I, I wanted to kind of delve in just a little bit on that theme. Cause I really do respect that highly. And it's one of the ways that we're trying to live by at our community foundation. And just curious to know, are there, is there a specific tip or ideas that you think within either trust-based philanthropy or kind of democratizing the system that you would like to see other community foundations adopt? Um, I think, if, you know,
1: if possible, um, multi-year funding and unrestricted funding. Now, that doesn't work for everything. I, I know that. But for for organizations with which you've maybe had a long-term relationship, that you know what they do, um, or I, I think that, you know, as community foundations, we love to get unrestricted gifts, don't we? <clears throat> That's like gold. Well, the same applies with our grantees. And an unrestricted gift, particularly for a long-standing provider where you've had lots of relationships. I mean, trust needs to be earned. But I do think thinking about multi-year funding and unrestricted funding is one of the most important things that we can be thinking about where it's appropriate.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, again, like you said, community foundations have different struggles or different challenges, that's for sure. And so uh, you know, might not fit in in your community, but certainly, uh-huh. I'm I'm a huge advocate of, of providing unrestricted funds to a community uh, to the nonprofits. So, um, you have had an extensive career, and uh, I'm just curious to know what would you like to be known for, or what would you like? Uh, either that could be friends, family, your profession. What would you like to be known for? Um, well, you
1: know, as I think about my my career, I, I would say that the the last position I had with the Indiana Philanthropy Alliance running the program uh, funded by Lily Endowment to provide all this training and technical assistance to community foundations was really such an honor. It was such an honor for me to spend those almost 10 years um using all the things I learned after 20 years, almost 20 years at Central Indiana Community Foundation, lots of different positions during a period of enormous growth and change, I learned a lot of things. Um, And to be able to take that and to give back, uh, take what I learned and be able to share that with the Indiana Community Foundation Foundation field. And then as people, we started doing training around the country with with others as well. That was really just amazing to be able to be in that position to give back. Uh, I enjoyed that
0: very much. That's wonderful. Well, Rosemary, I really appreciate you joining me today um, on the emergency F podcast and, and I wish you uh great success for the conference this year. It sounds like it'll be a great time. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Eric. Great to be with you today.
0: All right. Appreciate it very much. Rosemary Dorsa, the chair of the growing community foundation conference. Actually, I should say the uh, growing community foundation conference, which is scheduled for October 12th through 14th in Wichita, Kansas. Um, moving on to some news quick fires uh conferences so there's lots of news with conferences and that's pretty exciting because we've got lots going on in um in our field right now because people want to get out they want to they want to meet individuals or perhaps do it hybrid or virtual um there's a save the date out from the adnets or for the AdNet summit which is september 15 2022 and it's going to be in chicago uh this is a summit so it's going to be a a, a smaller. Uh, group gathering. Um, More information is over at adnetcf.org. And uh, so there there wasn't anything specific as far as more details right now, but they're just doing a save the date. And then AdNet just did a webinar on ESG investing that was April 6th. To access any recordings, um, please sign up to be a member and you can go to adnetcf.org. And then, of course, we just spoke to Rosemary about the Growing Community Foundation Conference. And I do want to repeat uh, that website, kacf-annual-conference.com, where you can learn a little bit more about the conference. And, of course, you can uh, check in that website to find out when registrations are available. And then uh, moving on to Exponent Philanthropy, they have their 2022 annual conference, October 10th through 12th. It's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And this event is designed for, by, lean funders, those who give with few or no staff. So here you can learn with your, or let your guard down is what you're saying, is what they're saying. Here you can let your guard down and talk about problems affecting causes and communities you care about most with those who can relate. Learn more at exponentphilanthropy.org. And then the National Center um, Association for Charitable Gift Planners, or CGP, October 26th through 28th. That is in Reno, Nevada. The CGP Conference is a unique meeting place for all professionals working on charitable gift planning. and your work, you'll find love to uh, find people at the planning table, charitable, financial, and estate advisors. There is a small portion for community foundations or at least community foundation relevant content. Um, you'll sit around with a training table, collaborating with the experts at the podium and with your peers, leaving with the tools you have to do your job better. More information on that conference is at charitablegiftplanners.org. And then some webinars to take note of, I think um, the CEO Net and the Council on Foundations is doing a virtual roundtable on May 24th, 2022, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern. You can find out more information at CEO Net. And also you can look at the Council Foundation on their upcoming events this, uh, this one is about cryptocurrency and your community foundation a brief description curious about cryptocurrency but you do not know where to start. Community Foundation exe- executives are invited to join a peer roundtable conversation to learn more about the unique opportunities and challenges for community foundations accepting cryptocurrency. Join the CEO CEO roundtable to learn from your peers perspectives and practices. The moderator is Joseph Braun, Executive Director at the Fond du Lac Area Foundation, and the conversation starters, Melissa Baxter over at Waukesha Community Foundation, Um, Eric Summerfield Pearson, President and CEO of the El Paso Community Foundation. I just want to point out Eric will be joining me on the podcast later on this month. Jessica Martin over at the Greater Salina Community Foundation. Salina, sorry, whoops, Salina, Kansas, not Salina, Salina. Community Foundation, Ryan Raffin, partner non-cash assets and compliance, charitable solutions, LLC. And then finally, some quick news from the Chronicle Philanthropy um, that I thought was very interesting in the sense that uh, it really talks about how DAF holders are really doing things a little differently. The San Francisco philanthropists Jennifer and David Reischer, or Reicher, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, believe so strongly that rich donors should give up more of their money in their donor-advised funds to charities and more quickly. They're using their own wealth to persuade them to do it. In May 2020, moved by the suffering caused by the pandemic, the Reishers publicly offered to give $1 million to other donors' favorite charities if those donors promised to give at least half of their money sitting in their dafts to charity by September 30th of that year. They're using the hashtag of hashtag half my daft to actually spread the word. And, um, you know, it's it's really an interesting thing. And again, you can find out the full article at the Chronicle of Philanthropy. So regarding the Emergency F, uh website, you can find all about job postings. I do want to encourage you that if you have a job posting at your community foundation, that you can share it there at emergencyf at gmail.com. There's also a contact form at the um, emergentcf.com website. So thank you so much for uh, joining me today. And uh, I do want to thank Andy Epler for our intro music and also our outro music. If you like Emergent CF, tell your friends to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again to Rosemary Dorsa for joining me.